If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It's time to get sexy with Dr. Daryl Ray on Secular Sexuality. Welcome to Secular Sexuality, you sexy seculars. Today we have a double feature. We're going to talk a little bit about paradigm shift. And then we're going to talk to Jorith, a polyamory activist. I think you're going to find her comments and resources very interesting and useful. So there's some interesting news this week that ties, well, recently anyway, that ties right into what I want to talk about today. Recently, a Christian band member, Shannon Lowe, of the Order of Elijah, came out as atheist. And I want to talk today about the concept of paradigm shift and what happens in your life when you have a paradigm shift. But before I do that, I want to read just something briefly from his own words. After one of the most difficult decisions of my adult years, I had no choice but to accept that I had shed my faith like a cocoon. It was scary, yet liberating. It's confusing, yet simple. I felt at peace, yet completely shaken. I pretty much had to reprogram my way of thinking about the world. Not only that, I felt I had lived a lie for half my life. I read books. I tried meditating. Hell, sometimes I even tried to talk to God. After a few months, I read about the science of addiction and life trauma I stopped trying to pray my alcoholism away and began combating it with real methods. I began confronting my problems head-on rather than giving them to God. I became very interested in researching science and the nature of other religions daily. I eventually completely gave up alcohol and got my health back and enrolled in college. I'm proud to say I have a 3.75 GPA. Today I want to talk about an interesting metaphor I think is helpful in understanding how to go about changing yourself sexually. But I'd like you to keep Mr. Lowe's comments in mind as we talk, because his is a really good example of a phenomenal paradigm shift. But let's go back. Uh, most of the people listening to this podcast are secular. So I want to begin at the time when you first realized, if you were raised religious, that religion was pretty much all bullshit. At that moment in time, you can look back and you can say, wow, a lot of things changed in my perception of the world. Now, when I give my talks to groups, I oftentimes say, 
ask how many of you are religious, you know, at one point in time, and maybe 80% of my audience will raise their hands. And then I say, how many of you experienced a profound change in your worldview and world perceptions once you got rid of religion? And virtually everybody keeps their hand up during that time. Now, by that, I mean you had a major shift in your view of, say, evolution. Maybe you were a creationist until you saw the light and realized science actually did mean something, and then suddenly, wow, evolution makes a hell of a lot of sense. And then you started looking at the Bible and finding that the earth is flat according to the Bible and realized, well, it really is round, and you knew that all along, and that means the Bible's got some pretty crazy ideas in it. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't take long for many people to go through what we could call a paradigm shift. You simply shift rapidly and radically from a worldview that's kind of like being black and white to a worldview that's got all sorts of beautiful colors and shades and frequencies. Sounds become more meaningful, light becomes more meaningful. Art becomes more interesting. Just everything around you, a a leaf on a tree, suddenly has biological meaning to you. And you can see the fungus growing on the leaf and the insect trying to use the leaf as a cocoon. And all sorts of things start happening that you realize, wow, I never saw that before. Because you were in a very black and white, good, bad, right, wrong worldview that religion traps you in. So going from... Believer to non-believer creates a gigantic paradigm shift in many people. Now, at the same time, when you go through the paradigm shift, sometimes and frequently, unfortunately, the people you're closest to don't. Your husband or wife does not go through that paradigm shift. And so they're still back in the right, wrong, good, bad, black, white world. And you try to explain to them, wow, the world looks a lot more colorful and interesting and understandable and explainable than it did under that old regime. They don't see it. It's very emotionally upsetting to them, and they feel like you've abandoned them. You've abandoned your religion. You've lost your faith. No, you found your reason. I I hate that word, lost your faith. You didn't lose your faith. You found your reason. So keeping this kind of paradigm in mind, Think about, uh, there's been some science fiction movies and such that have used a a visual that I think is kind of interesting. A visual of something that appears to be a wall. Imagine you're watching a movie and somebody sees a wall and they, they go to touch the wall, but their hand goes through the wall. Now, to you, the viewer of the movie, you can see let's say to the left, the person getting ready to touch the wall is in a black and white world. Everything is black and white in shades of gray. But the minute they touch that wall, their hand passes through the wall. And suddenly, there's color. You can see color in the hands, and you can see colors, a wide variety of colors, on the other side of the wall when the camera shows you what's on the other side of the wall. The person can pull their hand back through the wall, and everything goes back to being black and white. If the person were to move through the wall, walk entirely through the wall, 
they would see a totally black and white, I mean, a totally color-filled world. Their body would show colors. Their clothes would be colorful. The trees around them would be colorful. There would, the black and white would only be a tiny part of the world. Shades of gray would only be a tiny part of the world. And they could look back at that black and white world and say, wow, how did I ever live within that environment? How did I ever live within that paradigm? And they could also see people living in that black and white world and realize how constricted they were, how much they were missing of the beauty and the sensual nature of the world. And we could also add to this things like touch and feel and emotions. I mean, in the black and white world, emotions were very restricted and limited. And there were emotions you could not or should not experience. Whereas in the new colorful world, there's a spectrum of emotions. There's a spectrum of tactile feelings that you aren't allowed to have. There's a spectrum of other things related to experiencing the world that were forbidden or even taboo in the previous regime. So I think you get the picture here, literally and figuratively. Now let's move on to sex and sexuality. When you were religious, you had certain views about the world. They were black and white with shades of gray in it, but much more black and white. No color, really. Homosexuality is wrong. Transgender people are simply confused. People who have sex outside of marriage or are sinful. People who have sex before marriage are polluting their bodies. They're just all these sexual ideas that people had. Masturbation, of course, is terrible and will ruin your marriage, ruin you before you get married. All these very black and white ideas are put into your mind so that as you grow up and experience your body, touching yourself is wrong. You learn to feel shame. Shame is now part of that black and white world. Guilt is part of that black and white world that you can't talk about sex. You can't express sexuality to anybody else. You can't explore your sexuality in ways that are not condoned by your religious world and culture. And even if you weren't religious, you still were raised in this religious culture. So a lot of what I'm saying, I mean, I know kids who are raised very secular and still feel guilty about masturbating. I know people who were raised very secular and their parents still said, well, you shouldn't have sex before you get married, even though their parents probably did, but that's another thing. So if you look at the world through these black and white glasses that religion puts on us, and then one day you realize that religion has fed you a bunch of bullshit and that maybe masturbation isn't that bad. Maybe having sex before marriage isn't that bad. And, and you start experimenting and you realize, wow, this feels really good. This seems to be right. It seems to be normal. You take a human sexuality class in college and you realize that a lot of people are doing a lot of shit that you were told is wrong. And they seem to be just fine. And they've got good jobs and they've got good families. I mean, all sorts of things start happening. This is akin to the movie illustration we said earlier of you putting your hand through that wall and seeing the color on your hand and then making the decision to walk through that wall. Now, 
it's not as easy as that, is it? When you first got rid of religion, a lot of people say, I still had a fear of hell. Years after I became an atheist, I've had people say, I was still afraid of hell. And of course, you've still got all the people around you, your spouse, your children, your parents, your extended family, other people around you that are religious that you have to deal with. And so it was hard to let go of some of that stuff that religion had put on you. Unfortunately, many people think, though, well, I've got rid of religion and I've got rid of a lot of other shit there, too. And yeah, you probably have. But going through that wall isn't instant. It doesn't happen in three seconds. It happens in three years. It may happen in 30 years. And by this, I mean each time you explore and move a little bit farther outside that wall and see more color, you're experimenting with challenging the ideas that you were raised with. So let's just begin at the beginning. You're challenging the idea of masturbation, for example. And you realize, I need to get rid of my guilt around just pleasuring myself. And I know people, it takes years to get over that. And then, of course, we've got this myth around us that pornography is terrible and leads to sex addiction. So you may have this notion that, well, if I'm pleasuring myself while watching the porn, that's bad. And you may have to take some time to, to get rid of that thought. And each time you move a little bit farther, you think, wow, I still feel guilty about having had two sex partners before I got married. Well, let's get rid of that shit. And I certainly couldn't tell my spouse that I had two sex partners before we got married because they would divorce me or they'd get upset that I didn't tell them. Well, the fact is your spouse probably have a couple of partners or more themselves. But that's, a, that's also another story. The fact is that you've got history and you've got ideas that you still can't own. And so I find in my life, it takes a lot of energy to maintain a lie. It takes a lot of energy to try to fool yourself or to fool other people. So let's say you did have two lovers before you got married and you never told your spouse about it. I'm not saying you have to tell your spouse. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying confession time because that could or might or might not be a good idea. But I am saying, wow, the fact that you still feel guilty about it's a problem. And then what's the problem with talking to your spouse about it? Is there some issues that you and your spouse need to work out? Or your partner, whoever this other person, significant other person is in your life? And is it a good idea to talk about these things out loud? Is your current relationship being stifled, being inhibited, by is even being stopped in its growth? Because you can't talk openly about these things. Like you got the hots for another person at your workplace. Or you had two or three lovers before you got married. You'd really like to break out and try some new things in your marriage. Like dress up or spank somebody's butt or get your butt spanked. I don't know. But the fact is if you can't talk about these things, you're a part of yourself is still on the black and white side of that wall. Yeah, you may have put your hand through. And maybe now that hand is masturbating more guilt-free, but you still feel guilty about pornography. Or you've gotten over your guilt of pornography, but you certainly couldn't tell your spouse you masturbate to pornography because that would bring up more guilt and shame and, and disrupt the relationship or whatever. So what I'm trying to say is that all of us, to some degree, still live on the black and white side of that wall. And we have to continually challenge ourselves to move a little farther into 
the color, the beautiful, the sensual part of, of that wall out into the outdoors where the sun shines and the colors are sharp and beautiful and you can see the trees and the leaves and the birds and you can hear the singing of the birds that you can't see back on the other side. Now the metaphor can be extended in this way. Once you step past that wall, you can feel sexually more complete. You can touch another person and feel their response. You can talk openly about your dreams and desires and what turns you on and what turns you off without fear of shame or without fear of running from yourself, running from them or having them run from you. That's beautiful. That's liberating. That's a paradigm shift. And that's what I'm talking about, a paradigm shift. And hopefully it's a paradigm shift for you and ultimately your partner. But let's just be real clear here. This is the only life you've got to live. If you can't be open about your own sexuality with the person most important to you, then you've got to ask the question, is this relationship good for me? If I can't be honest and open with my spouse, my partner, about what really interests me, what I want to do, and if they can't be honest with me, because let me let me underline, you could still be living in a black and white world with respect to your partner. Yeah, you may want to have a threesome with another partner, another person, but you don't want your you don't want your partner having one. And I've seen this happen, unfortunately, too many times. For example, I, I've seen guys just wanting the worst way to go try the swinging lifestyle out. Their wife is really resistant to it for the longest time. And then once she decides, okay, I'll give it a try, and here's all the rules, and they negotiate it all, then they go to a swingers club or a swingers party or they find a swingers couple to get together with, then she actually enjoys the hell out of it. And the guy freaks out. Well, the fact is the guy's still living in the black and white world about the notion of men owning women. He would like to fuck two women, but he sure doesn't want to watch his wife fucking another man. Okay, that's an interesting thing because it shows still living in that black and white world. That notion of male ownership, of patriarchy. Yes, we may move beyond certain things in our, our life for ourselves. But are we moving beyond that, for example, with respect to our partners? Do we give our partners as much respect and space and an honest hearing as we expect them to do with us? And do you take this a step at a time? You're walking through this wall, but you're walking through it slowly, deliberately, exploring and feeling and recognizing that you don't just jump through this wall. Once you get to the other side, you still have a lot of work to do. Even if you get completely through the wall, you've still got to deal with the issues of ethics. You know, what are the ethics of being on this side of the wall? I know the ethics on the other side of the wall. You don't have sex before marriage. You don't masturbate. You don't, you don't have anyone but one partner for life. That's, that's all the ethics on the black and white side. What are the ethics on the color side of this wall? And you have to learn what those are. You have to find out what the best way to live on the other side of the wall is because there's no Bible telling you that. There's no imam. There's no preacher. There's no priest telling you what you, have, you can do on this other side of the wall. 
Getting to the other side of the wall happens in fits and starts. And I'm going to guarantee that you will make mistakes. There's no doubt about it. You're going to make errors and mistakes. And unfortunately, you may get hurt in the process or you may hurt someone else in the process. So be aware that there's emotional risks to stepping on the other side of that wall. Of course, there's even greater risks of staying on the black and white side. The fact is, we're humans. We're going to make some mistakes. But let's not excuse ourselves from those mistakes. You make a mistake, you're not going to learn from it unless you own it. If you violate a boundary, for example, that you have negotiated with your partner, you better own that mistake and say, I fucked up big time, and how can we make it right? How can we renegotiate? If they fuck up, can you forgive them? Can you renegotiate it? Now, if it's a continual pattern of violations, then I'd say we've got an issue of trust here. We have a relationship that's not based on something that's mutually trustworthy. So again, you have to ask yourself, is this a good, healthy relationship for me if the other person's violating boundaries? Now, I can't tell you how to negotiate this. I can't tell you how to get through this wall. I can just say that, wow, once you've made this paradigm shift from the black and white sexuality notions of religion and our culture into the colorful world of sensuality and non-religious sexual ethics and behaviors, there's no turning back. Most people who tell me they have made the transition say it's amazing, it's beautiful, they love their partner more, they have better sex than they ever had before, and they are more sensual. They feel life and they see life more completely. And they don't have any invisible friends walking around, looking around over their shoulder. They don't have any shame or guilt around normal sexual behaviors. And they become more sensitive to the feelings of other people. I can guarantee you in the swinger world, people are a hell of a lot more sensitive and responsive to one another's signals and to what they want and feel than any religious couple is in all likelihood. I see a lot of the same things in the polyamory world. People have to learn. They have to learn how to be sensitive and read other people's desires and wants, turn-ons, turn-offs. And, of course, it's not all about the sexuality. It's about the relationships and the openness of their relationship. I can't tell you how many people have told me after they've stopped being traditionally married to one another or traditionally focused on monogamous relationships or whatever it is that they're in, once they've stepped away from that, how much they say they feel free. They feel like I don't have a lot of shit on the back of me. I don't have people feeling like I have to behave in a certain way. And I can talk to my spouse. I can be open, more open about my sexuality. You see this a lot in the LGBT world. When somebody who's gay comes out and says two or three years later, I'm sure it was hard coming out, but I'm sure glad I did it because I'm much freer now. I can be who I am, not who society or my parents or my spouse expects me to be. And I'm also seeing it in the trans uh, world. People who finally come out and admit to themselves and admit to everybody around them 
say, yes, it's hard, and society doesn't accept us, but they almost always say, I'm glad I did it. I finally can be who I want to be and not who, again, my parents or my spouse or anybody else in my culture wants me to be. So that's a paradigm shift. And people ha- people experience paradigm shifts who take risks, who step outside the cultural boundaries, who leave the religion behind, and who try to learn how to express themselves and communicate with people and listen to other people more carefully and enjoy other people's bodies as well as enjoy their own bodies in new ways. So I hope this little metaphor gives you some food for thought. Where are you in that black and white world? How much of you is still stuck in the black and white world? How much of you is afraid of coming out and talking to your spouse or your partner about the non-black and white world, about the paradigm shift? And maybe you've gone through some of that paradigm shift. How do you do that? How do you talk to your spouse about that paradigm shift? Those are some of the things to think about. Well, we'll take a break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Jorth, a polyamory activist. She's got some really interesting things to say and resources to share with us. You're listening to Secular Sexuality, only on Secular Media Network. Here's an excerpt from Sex and God by Daryl Ray. Hello, I'm David Smalley, the proud producer for this audiobook and president of Dogma Debate. If you don't know Dr. Daryl Ray, you're going to find this book an eye-opening and entertaining experience. Of course, this book is about sex, but it's also about so much more, and you'll find out what I mean as you listen. Dr. Ray takes us on a journey that demonstrates exactly how much religious culture has distorted our views of our bodies, our relationships, our expectations about marriage, dating and love, and even our politics. Dr. Daryl Ray is a psychologist and a lifelong student of religion and culture. He's been seen on ABC News, on many national radio shows, and even international documentaries. He was recently featured on an episode of Professor Richard Dawkins' Sex, Death, and the Meaning of Life. His research on sex and secularism has been written about in Playboy magazine, the Los Angeles Times, the Daily Mail, the New York Times, and dozens of other newspapers and magazines. He's the founder of the international organization RecoveringFromReligion.org and writes an answer column for Teens Without God. He's traveled and spoken throughout North America, Europe, and Australia. You can listen to interviews of him on many podcasts, including Dogma Debate, that deal with religion or human sexuality. After reading Sex and God, you may want to learn more about the psychology of religion. I know I did. For this, you can listen to his earlier bestseller, The God Virus. It's on audiobook as well. You can find many of his talks on YouTube, including topics like the psychology of religion, sex and religion, hypnosis and church services, that's one of my favorites, and evolution and religious sexuality. I sincerely hope this audiobook does for you what it did for me. Aside from being a pleasurable, entertaining, and funny experience, I learned a lot from this one, and I'm sure you will too. Sex and God by Daryl Ray is available at atheistaudiobooks.com. You're listening to Secular Sexuality, only on Secular Media Network. Welcome to Secular Sexuality Today. We are talking with Jorath, who is a polyamory activist. Now, there aren't very many people on the planet that could call him that, I'm pretty sure. 
she's here at my party for Memorial Day and is just about ready to kick off. So I thought I'd grab her for a quick interview and see what's going on in the polyamory world. And we're also going to talk a little bit about how religion and polyamory intersect, perhaps. So welcome, Jorith. Hello. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, as you said, um, I'm a poly activist. I've been uh, an activist. Uh, well, I've been active in the poly community since uh, about 98, 1998 or so. Um, and I probably started considering myself an activist in the early 2000s. And I focused mostly on um, media training. I train other polyamorists how to interact with the media to better improve our image in the public eye. Cool. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, like, <laughs> Where have you done media stuff and, you know, who have you talked to? Like, have you talked to major outlets or something? Oh, sure. Well, I've been interviewed with CNN and uh-huh. Newsweek and, you know, a bunch of the big names. And I've had a couple of uh, news articles done for magazines, stuff in the U.K., a bunch of smaller stuff, St. Pete Times, uh-huh. uh, Orlando Weekly, you know, local news. So I've been in the news, but I've, I've been involved in the media in one form or another pretty much my whole life. Oh, I currently work backstage in the entertainment industry, so I have a bit of a perspective on how the media sees people and what they do to put their own spin on things so I can take that knowledge and give it to the poly community and tell them how their image is going to be used and how they can best manipulate it for our own ends. Okay, let's follow, <laughs> let's talk about how you're manipulating it for our own. That sounds uh, very manipulative. I like it. <laughs> uh, well, it's not nothing that the media isn't doing to us. You know, everybody's got a story they want to tell, and so when it comes to the media, it's a fight between what the story that the story that the media wants to tell and the story that their subjects want to be told. And so mm-hmm. all I'm trying to do is give the polyamory community an edge in making sure that it's our story that gets told, not the media's version of it. Okay, great, great. What are some of the messages that you feel like um, need to get out there and that you've been successful getting out there? Uh, safety, for one. That's the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the first misconception that people bring up automatically is, um, you know, promiscuous people are unsafe and and in my experience and the early, early research that we have right now into the community bears this out, is that the alternative sexuality communities tend to be much more safe on the whole than the general population. And so that is that is a message that the poly community tries to focus in their interactions with the media right. and to highlight that. So I've been helpful in getting them to keep on track and not get, dis- not get distracted by salacious details. Yeah, everybody loves the salacious details, mm-hmm. of course, but I am I agree with you. I've been in the community for close to 20 years, and safety is always a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, if somebody doesn't play or interact safely, we pretty much ban them or get them out mm-hmm. or let everybody know. Yeah, poly people come with references. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it sounds funny, but that's true. Mm-hmm. It really does. It's true. And mm-hmm. if a person won't give you references, uh, you might want to ask a few extra questions, mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Yep. Okay, well, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. So tell me a little bit about, as much as you'd like, mm-hmm. about how you got into poly and how you discovered this and how, what, what's it tell you about you? Well, personally, um, it turns out that I'm terrible at monogamy. I've never been good at it. Um, uh-huh. I kept falling in love with someone new before I was done being in love with the uh, previous person. And so on my 21st birthday, I decided as a gift to myself, I was going to break up with my very possessive, controlling boyfriend at the time and never be monogamous again. And then the next date that I went on, I was trying to explain to this guy how I was never going to be his girlfriend. I was trying to let him down easy. 
Uh, and I was explaining that what I wanted was to be able to build intimate connections but not be monogamous. He said, I know what your problem is. You're polyamorous. <laughs> <laughs> so he knew. He knew. He was poly, and he introduced oh. it to me. And uh, this is back in the GeoCities website days. Oh, yes, right. And yeah. the AOL days. And so uh, I went online. I looked it up, and I said, yep, that's exactly what I am. Cool. Never looked back. <laughs> Excellent. I'd say that's pretty much you discovered it at age 21. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> I didn't discover it till I was 50. So oh, you beat me big time. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I discovered it sooner. I might have saved myself a few mistakes. Well, we all do. But, you know, that culture around us has mm -hmm. something to do with it. Yeah. Of course, and a lot of the religious assumptions that our cultures developed so. mm -hmm. yep i grew up pretty mainstream roman catholic so oh, you did yeah oh, okay. so i had no concept of any alternative i mean i even uh even gay relationships were not a norm and i grew up near san francisco so Whoa. that exposure came from outside you know from my family right. everything was i have the most normal family you can imagine my parents got married right out of high school they had two kids and a dog we lived in the suburbs i mean everything was there except the white picket fence Huh. Wow. So a Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. I mean like mass every week or more? Um, every week. Uh, they're, uh -huh. they're, my mom's Mexican, so it's Mexican Roman Catholic. Right. So we don't have to go more than once a week. Uh, it was on Sundays <laughs> and, of course, the high holidays. Okay. Well, what about things like birth control and abortion and all that? You were raised, I'm guessing, with the Catholic line there? I, I was, but um, so I was raised in California, and California has a liberal version of Roman Catholics. Oh, okay. Um, so they haven't changed their stance on it exactly. They're just a little more tolerant of other people. Yeah, like right. that. So, it, you know, I had to convince my mom to put me on the pill for my endometriosis. Oh, there you go. Um, okay. So she was willing to bend that far. You know, it was for health reasons. <laughs> uh, but if I wanted birth control for sex, that would have been a big problem. Okay, okay. So how did the whole poly thing go down with uh, family and stuff like that? Oh. If you want to talk about it, if you don't, fine. <laughs> no, sure. I had to have two coming out talks with my mother because uh -huh. uh, as some Catholics and apparently some Jewish people do, my mom is very good at pretending we never said things she doesn't want oh, us to yes. have said. Yeah. So uh, the first coming out was by accident. I was closeted at first because I wasn't sure of myself. I wasn't confident of my choice. I had built a, a website. I was just learning how to code, and so I built my own website as practice for work. And I had a mirror site because I'd started writing poly stuff, and I thought, oh, if my parents ever find that, I'll be in trouble. So I wrote a mirror site. Well, when I made the mirror site, I forgot to change one of the links, and my mom um, found that one place that the link led to the mirror site, uh -huh. and she read all the poly stuff. So it was a huge fight, and back then it was uh, much less extensive than now. My website now is sprawling. It's huge. Oh, okay. Tell um, us the website. It's theinbetween.net, and that's okay. N with two N's like a hotel. Okay. So now it's huge, but back then I only had a couple of pages, and it was very uh, uh, academic, sort of. And so I tried to pass it off as... I'm not poly. I have friends who are poly, so I'm just talking about polyamory. And that still didn't go. It was a huge fight. My sister came home, and she said she could hear us screaming from the sidewalk, and she got oh. involved. And finally, at one point, I had a cousin who had just come out as gay a few weeks before, and so my sister surprisingly jumped in with, uh, just like our cousin, she's family. We love her no matter what. It's her business. Leave her alone. Wow. Cool. Yeah. What so, a what a blessing to have a an ally. 
Yeah, and so that was the last we said of it until I moved out of the house several years later, and、um, I moved across the country, three thousand miles away. And with that distance, I started to get more confident and more independent. And then I started to develop relationships that became family.、Okay. And it was no longer appropriate to hide it. You know, I wanted to bring everybody home for、sure. the holidays. Sure. And so I had to have another coming out talk. And this time, I was much more successful.、Um, I was able to stand my ground. I wasn't ashamed or hiding it.、Right. It was, Mom, this is who I am. I'm bringing my friends home, and that's how it's going to be. And so now they just. My parents talk around it as best they can. <laughs> <laughs> so let's change the subject a little bit and take it away from you personally, and、mm-hmm. talk about the activism part that、okay. you've been involved in. You've been involved in quite a while.、Mm-hmm. What do you see? Some of the key, like the cutting edge stuff that you're doing and the poly community is doing. I'm interested in the political side of it, of course,、mm-hmm. and the social side of it. So. Just wherever you want to go. Well, there is an organization、um, that's out of Atlanta right now called the Relationship Equality Foundation that I've been working very heavily with, and their、um, their main focus is on education and outreach. And they've branched out from just polyamory to all relationship styles, whatever、okay. it is you want. They want you to have the choice and the opportunity. And of course, they are focusing on the. The less privileged ones, so anything but、right. monogamy. They're not opposed to mono- monogamy, but monogamy doesn't need any help from us. Yeah, you're right. So,、um, actually, it needs a lot of help because very <laughs> few people actually practice it. But no, okay, that's we'll, true. We'll move on beyond that. It, it doesn't need any political help. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe structural support. <laughs> But yeah, so their、uh, most of their focus is on outreach, just explaining the different types, explaining that you know we're not cardboard cutout villains, nobody's evil, nobody's hurting anybody. They've also put on a whole series of continuing education credits for like therapists and counselors.、Uh, one of the focuses is to get the professional. Um, the professionals on board. You know, we need more therapists who、yes. are comfortable with poly and with kink and with you know swinging and everything else.、Um, we need more attorneys who are familiar with it, particularly family law attorneys. Right.、Um, so that's that's where、uh, I see it going politically. So personally, my activism, I have gone, I've moved away from community organizing and outreach to individuals, and I'm now working on the leadership model. Um, one of the things I'm doing, for instance, next weekend at a conference called Atlanta Poly Weekend, is I am giving a workshop on how to give a presentation. Oh, okay. So、yeah. that we can, you know, get our leaders to have a more polished、um, presentation, a、uh, more, you know, a better out,、uh, look how to get their message across better. Like I said, I do the media training, and so I'm more focused on getting our leadership level to a more visible and professional look. You said something earlier. I want to go back to.、Mm-hmm. Uh, you may or may not know my background as a psychologist、mm-hmm. and, and the founder of the Secular Therapy Project. Oh, okay. And we are constantly looking. For, it's a database、mm-hmm. that, that identifies secular therapists、mm-hmm. and allows people to find these therapists through our database system. And、uh, we really see a need for the poly friendly more and more, and and the kink friendly、mm-hmm. therapists. Unfortunately, there's a lot of secular therapists out there. They're probably fairly well trained in therapy, but they don't have a clue about poly,、mm-hmm. and they have they're secular,、yeah. and they still don't <laughs> know about kink. You know,、uh-huh. and so、uh, listeners out there, if you're a therapist,、uh, you need to learn、mm-hmm. about this shit because、uh, it's growing.、Mm-hmm. So thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, definitely look into the Relationship Equality Foundation. Like、okay. I said, they are focusing on on specifically educating the therapy. 
uh, community. Right. So I had that same problem. I went to a therapist, and um, the issues that I wanted help with had nothing to do with polyamory. And when I mentioned that, you know, of course, that's the first thing he goes to. It's like, well, do you think that could be part of the problem? No, actually, that is my support network yeah. right now. That's what's getting me through all the real problems. And I gave him a copy of more than two. So. Good. And, you know, I see that a lot. Mm -hmm. I see that a lot, Jorth. The clients having to educate Mm -hmm. the the therapist, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But but thanks for educating him. I (laughs) I hope he or she still was able to help you. Yeah, yeah, he was able to help. He was very open-minded about it, and uh, he he was grateful for the copy. He said he was going to share it with other therapists, you know. Good, good. And and so so I want to throw this out to the clients. If you find a therapist that, you're satisfied with is secular, but they don't have a clue about the things you are, feel free to educate them. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you educated them. Yeah, More Than Two is a great resource, especially it, it if is. you can afford an extra copy to just give to people. Right. I bought like six or eight copies to just hand out to people who need it. Yeah. My introduction to it was Loving More, mm-hmm. but that was back in 1987, <laughs> 1988. I read it and I thought, this is great, mm-hmm. but I didn't take it to heart. I wish I'd have. <laughs> I would have saved myself a lot of trouble if I'd have just said, "Okay, I'm Polly," but I didn't do that. <laughs> and and what he and uh, the second book I read was, of course, The Ethical Slut mm-hmm. back in the late '90s, yep. and that's when it finally took. You know, yeah. I'm not as smart as I look. <laughs> What what is the most influential book? More than two is that the yeah, one you like the um, best? Well, more than two. I'm sort of biased in that I'm dating the, one of the authors. So, <laughs> well, um, okay. But uh, <laughs> but one of the things that attracted me to him in the first place was his writing on the web. Um, although to be honest, I met him in person and I didn't know who he was, Franklin Vo. I'd never heard of him or his website. And we just happened to both be at a discussion meeting once, um, and I thought you know everything he had to say was exactly how I viewed polyamory. And so it was uh-huh. you know ten years. later later now that he's finally written a book but because i have already agreed with that message uh, i think the more than two book is um, the most effective way of explaining the particular message that i want to give about polyamory okay because it's all about ethics yeah it is Mm -hmm. and it's such a topic Mm -hmm. that monogamous people don't even talk about no it's really weird because i see the poly people and the kink people really concerned about ethics mm-hmm. i don't see monogamous people concerned about ethics no. and yet they're very unethical sometimes yes. in the way they treat each other <laughs> yeah they're, mm-hmm. they're terrible about that you yeah. know i have a funny story um i have a coworker who is um a tea party christian very conservative very right wing uh we've we've agreed never to discuss politics so we can get along at work yeah right but he has a brother who is just promiscuous he just doesn't want to get tied down and so after you know my co-worker and I had been friends and we talked for several years and eventually he came up to me and said you know I have a brother and he doesn't want to get tied down but I think you would be good for him would you go out with him <laughs> so we don't agree on anything politically but he recognized that I was an ethical person and that I would be a good influence on his brother <laughs> okay well, I, I'm, I'm curious uh, my definition definition as promiscuous as anybody's getting more sex than I am. Yeah. What, what's your definition? <laughs> well, that does seem to be the most common definition that people use. It really does. Uh, well, Jorth, this has been an interesting interview. I wish we had more time, but i got to get back to the party here. And yep. since I'm the host, it would probably be nice of me to greet people. <laughs> but I'm thrilled that you got to come. I'm, I'm glad really, to be here. Thank yeah, you for having me. Yeah, this is really cool. <laughs> 
tell us a little bit about what what's the key things you're most interested in or would like the listeners to hear and then plug whatever you I know you have a podcast so mm-hmm. tell us about that uh, well I have a podcast called Polyish movie reviews Poly-ish. so I review movies for poly uh, for poly content. Okay. Um, so I, I go through all movies that are poly, movies that have poly subplots, movies that are billed as poly but really aren't, uh-huh. um, and I go through and review them. And so it's uh, it's a fairly new podcast, but I've been uh, doing a blog on the subject for years, and I have uh-huh. little snippets in the Poly Weekly podcast. And so now oh, I've okay. moved it to my own standalone podcast. Um, I do that. I do Miss Polly Manners, a, uh, an etiquette advice column. Wait, hold! Oh, you're Miss Polly Manners. Yes, you. Yes. Oh fuck! I had no idea who I'm talking to here. Oh, you know her. I know her. I uh, yeah, I know her. <laughs> Wonderful. Yep. So I do that, Miss um, Polly Manners. Mm-hmm. I am talking to the Miss Polly Manners. <laughs> I am shocked. I'm I'm just honored. I, you've been doing some cool work. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Okay. Um, okay. I also give a lot of relationship workshops. Um, I do. Um, the five love languages for polyamory where I remove all of the Christianity and all of the gender bias and Uh I get just to the meat of things and how it applies not just to partners but to metamors Uh Um, I do lead and follow communications for uh, lead and follow techniques to improve your relationship communication and it's where we take skills that we learn in partner dancing and we learn to apply them to our relationship and how it makes us better partners so that's that's a really interesting workshop and so I've got a whole bunch of them. They're all on the website at theinbetween.net. Okay. Inbetween.net. And mm-hmm. it's spelled with I-N-N, like the N. Yep. Wow. I, this is cool information. <laughs> I hope the listeners are writing some of this down, and I'll put some of it in into the show notes as well. So what's the most poly movie you've ever seen? Oh, I can think of three of them off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, one is Summer Lovers. It's from okay. the 70s with Daryl Hannah. Very young Daryl Hannah. I like Daryl Hannah. Um, it's yeah. a great she movie. She has a good name, by the way. <laughs> she does. <laughs> um, but that is a fantastic movie. It's classic. It is pure poly all the way through, including the beginning where it starts with an infidelity. And a lot of poly relationships start that way. Yeah. But it's a great movie. Another one is Bandits with Bruce Willis and uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Is that his name? Uh-huh, right. And Kate Blanchett. So that was surprisingly poly. And then there was a new action movie out called Savages. It came out like three years ago. And that was, it wasn't a terribly good movie in general. It's a typical, you know, stereotypical action drug cartel type film. But the protagonists are involved in an MFM triad, two guys and one girl in a triad. And the protagonists stay that way. And that is the It's more like it's not even the point of the plot. They just happen to be that way, which I thought was fantastic. I noticed this real early on that the primary leadership in the poly community is female. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are some books written by males, but women are really leading this. Mm -hmm. And when people tell me, well, it's just because men want to get laid, (laughs) so no, it's because women want to get laid. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, there's really not much difference. We just need an environment supportive of it. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Well, I am sorry to have to cut this short. Because this is unexpectedly educational and too mm-hmm. much fun to do. I really love it. Maybe we can maybe do another Skype podcast. Oh, or sure. Like absolutely. That. that might be cool. But, Jorah, thanks a lot for being on the podcast. Thank as you for listeners, as you know, I want you to go out and give yourself a big orgasm today. Or go out and give someone else a big orgasm. Thank you. The Secular Sexuality Podcast, hosted by Dr. Daryl Ray, is produced and published by Dogma Debate, LLC, in association with Secular Media Group. Brought to you by Atheist Audiobooks, 
dogmadebate.com. Learn more at dogmadebate.com slash secular sexuality.